Thank you for listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, check out our website at stttimothysstores.org or visit us at 6 p.m. on Sundays at the Nathan Hale Inn. We're just going to kind of create some space. We're a little bit full, probably a little bit distracted from the day, tired from the day. Um, So I'm just going to take a breath to prepare our minds, prepare our hearts to hear God's Word. Um, This is something we do every week. We listen to God's words. We meditate on God's Word. We use it as a jumping off point for prayer. So in a second, I'm going to read our scripture for today, Mark 16, 1 through 8. And, then, and I want you to just listen to what God highlights for you. What word, what phrase, what idea stands out to you? Um, underline it, highlight it, mark it down. This is the beginning of a conversation between you and God. Because God has a corporate word to us corporately, but also an individual word to you uniquely and individually. So what is the Lord wanting to say to you today? So as we prepare, I just invite you to close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. Breathing in the goodness of God. And then a long breath out, just letting go of the week, of the busyness, of the stress, of the worry, of any disappointment. And Father, we just invite you to speak to us through your word, because we are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and with open minds. So Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the, away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled in the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. you just pay attention to when the Lord highlights something for you in scripture. He's wanting to start a conversation with you. Um, And so what we're going to kind of talk about today is obviously the miracle of Easter. We're delighted to be here together to celebrate the miracle of the resurrection. Um, That the the two Marys and the Salome discover an empty tomb. Like Maggie pointed out, not what they expected. Sad news, yet also joyful news, amazing news, awe-inspiring news at the same time. Um, and just textually, this is a sort of strange resurrection narrative, right? It's just, and this is what the earliest manuscripts of Mark have. So the very early manuscripts of Mark 
end this way. Um, not with joy and celebration and the people dancing in Galilee, but with fear and trembling and the silence of these overwhelmed, and if you can imagine, exhausted women. They have been through a week like you cannot imagine. Um, and so next week we're going to talk more about this abrupt ending, about why it ends the way it does, and we're going to look at an extra 12 verses that some later versions of Mark have. So if you're curious about the ending, if you're interested, why does it end this way? Why is it so abrupt? What, are, what do some other versions of Mark say? Come back next week. We'll talk about it then. Um, this week, I think we're just going to focus on one verse, verse 7. Verse 7 says, But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So I throw this question out to everyone. Um, what stands out to you? Is there anything in this verse that kind of says, like, oh, this is interesting? Tiffany, were you just stretching? Or was that? <laughs> Too bad for you. Um <laughs> I planted you there. Well done. Yeah, what I think is fascinating about this, this passage in particular, and it's small and it's minor, and it seems like just a little detail, but he's, the angel, the angelic messenger, is very specific. He singles out Peter uniquely, specifically, and he's the only disciple that gets named um, individually. So if we think about this, Mark is writing about 30 or 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And like we've talked about, tradition tells us that Mark's gospel probably comes from Peter. Peter is telling Mark, recalling the events, telling him what happened, remembering what it was like to walk and minister and be with Jesus. Um, And at the point when Peter is kind of telling Mark what happened, he is the disciple among the disciples. He is the father of the early church in Jerusalem. He is the rock upon which Christ built his church. And the book of Acts tells us that a little bit later, um, when Peter preached at Pentecost, 3,000 people came to faith in the same day. And they were baptized. So if you think about Peter, he's like a first century Billy Graham and Pope Francis, kind of all bound up together in dusty sandals. So that's Peter in 40 years. That's Peter at the end of his life. But Peter in this moment, in this moment right during the resurrection, uh, right during the crucifixion, right during the resurrection, he is demoralized, he is dejected, he is ashamed, he is humiliated, he has denied the Christ that he once insisted he would follow until his dying breath. So it seems strange. Why would the angel specifically and directly single out Peter? Peter the denier. Peter the failure. Peter who seems to have rejected Christ at the most significant moment. And I think this is one of the key beautiful moments of the resurrection. Is that Jesus' resurrection is not just about Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is also Peter's resurrection. Jesus' new life brings Peter new life. He brings Peter a new calling. He brings Peter a new future. So when Jesus is restored to life, he shares his resurrection, he shares his restoration, and he welcomes Peter back. So if you remember way back when we started talking about Mark at the beginning of the semester, Peter was the first disciple called in the gospel. In Mark 1, Jesus came to him when he was fishing with his brother and says to him, Come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
which is a strange thing to say. But Peter responds. He immediately left his nets and followed Jesus. And throughout Mark's gospel, Peter is generally named first in the list of the disciples. It's Peter, then James, then John. And he's always in the inner circle, and he sees the most amazing of Jesus' miracles. The little girl who's brought back to life in Mark 5. Remember we talked about that. The transfiguration in Mark 9. The cursing of the fig tree in Mark 11. Peter is the first disciple among all of the disciples, and he often speaks for the disciples. So he's the leader, he's the voice, he's the main guy. He's the first to declare Jesus to be the Messiah in Mark 8. And at the Last Supper in Mark 14, when Jesus prophesies that all the disciples will fall away, Peter passionately declares, even if all fall away, I will not. And Jesus responds to him, Truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And then the text says, Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I will never disown you. Yet hours later, as he waits in the courtyard of the high priest's um, palace, waiting to find out what will happen with Jesus, unsure of what the future holds, a servant girl sees him, and she's a servant girl, no one important, no one significant, no one with much authority. Just a servant girl says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. And Peter immediately replies, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. So there's denial one. So she follows him. He kind of moves along. She follows him to where he's standing somewhere else in the courtyard and says to some other people, this fellow is one of them. And so he denies it again. So now there's starting to be a little buzz in the courtyard, like, what's going on? Who is this guy? And the people standing around start to take a good look at him. And one of the guys says, surely you are one of them. You're a Galilean. And this is when Peter kicks into full-on, desperate, fake, angry denial mode. We all know that mode. We've all been there once or twice. Uh, he began, the scriptures say he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. I don't know this man you're talking about. The one you just vowed you would never deny. That you would go with to the death. And so just as the words have left his mouth, he hears the rooster crow a second time. And he remembers the words that Jesus had said to him. The vows that he had made to Jesus. And Mark 14 says very simply, but very powerfully, that Peter broke down and wept. And if Peter thinks this is bad, it only gets worse. It only gets worse for Jesus, and it only gets worse for Peter. Not only has Peter failed to be the man he thought he was, failed to be the man he claimed to be, failed to be the man he proclaimed in front of all of the disciples in Jesus, now now things are in motion that he can't stop, that he can't change. He's powerless to change the course of events that happen over the night in the next few days. Jesus is convicted of blasphemy, sentenced to death, crucified like a common criminal. And the, maybe just salt in the wound is that not only is Jesus crucified, but he's mocked. The soldiers, the religious leaders, even other criminals, they insult him and they mock him. They say he saved others, but he can't save himself. 
Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. In other words, yeah, right. You're King of the Messiah. You're King of the Jews. And this is the beauty and the power and the hope of Easter. Is that words that were meant to mock and shame, to denigrate and humiliate Jesus, they actually prophesy what is to come. They think they're speaking words of hate, but they are speaking out what God is doing in the midst of the situation. Jesus does save himself. He does exactly what they, they mocked him with. And he doesn't just come down from a cross. He comes out of a tomb. They may see and believe. A strong man could potentially come down from a cross. But it takes a savior to come out of a tomb. And that's exactly what Jesus does. So the hope of Easter, the hope that Jesus embodies, is that at the lowest point, the darkest hour, the moment of most shame, most despair, most hopelessness, is not the end for Jesus. And it's not the end for Peter. And as we'll see, it's not the end for us. The beauty of Easter is that our faith is not the faith of the tomb, but the faith of the resurrection. And we are not the people of the bitter end, but we are a people of a new beginning. And we worship a living Savior whose very first act as a resurrected king was to let his passionate, his impulsive, his beloved Peter know that all is forgiven. Before he does anything else, before he gives any other message or any other word of hope, he specifically, intentionally, and publicly welcomes Jesus back into the family of God, despite everything Peter had done and failed to do. And that is my Jesus that act of forgiveness, that act of welcoming, that is my Jesus. That is the Jesus that we celebrate today. And so Jesus' resurrection, as we said, is Peter's resurrection. It's his hope. Jesus' new life brings Peter back to life, brings Peter back from the edge of despair, the edge of failure, and gives him a new calling, a new future, a new hope. And the same is true for us. With Jesus' resurrection, we experience new life. We experience new calling. We experience a new future. And so as we go out tonight into our different tasks and our responsibilities and we start a new week, I want us to live like we actually believe in Easter. Like all is forgiven, all is forgotten, the old has passed away, and we have a new hope, a new future, a new call in Jesus. Like Peter, we are invited to stop weeping and get up and meet Jesus in Galilee because he has important work for us to do. But the hard part is you can't have resurrection without death and you can't have new hope and new future and a new call without the end of old hopes and old plans. And Peter had a plan. We've seen him throughout Mark. He was going to follow and serve Jesus wherever he went. And he was going to contribute to reforming first century Judaism. He was going to turn it all around in Jerusalem. And with his denials and Jesus' crucifixion, he saw those dreams die. But with, with, Je- with Jesus' resurrection and new life, Peter's new life. 
He becomes one of the fathers of early Christianity. And instead of just being a reformer of Judaism, a small regionalized religion at that time, he helped to start a movement that would transform billions of lives over thousands of years. So Jesus had much bigger plans for Peter than he had for himself. And each of us in this room, each and every one of us, has a call, has a hope, has a dream for our future. And my guess is that for many of us, there may be parts of our dreams that need to be left at the foot of the cross. That we will all experience some death. Some death of our hopes, some death death of our plans, some death of our calls. But not just death for death's sake. Death so that we can experience new life. And because I firmly believe that for many of us, Jesus has a different and a probably bigger call and a bigger plan than you have for yourself. He's calling you to something bigger. He's calling you to have a bigger impact on the people and places around you than you can probably even imagine right now. Like Peter, I believe that Jesus wants to use us more powerfully and perhaps even more prominently than we ever thought was possible. I know for myself, when I first really committed to following Jesus in college, I heard him say to me very distinctly and very sort of scarily, I have so much more for you than you have for yourself. And that's an exciting word, but that's a scary word. Because I had my plans and I had my dreams and I had my places where I was going and what I was doing and what I was going to be. And he had a future for me that was different than my future for me. And I've had to learn to leave some dreams at the cross. My dreams to teach at other colleges and universities. My dream to climb up the academic ladder. To be a tenured, position, tenured professor somewhere swanky with a corner office and a cushy desk. But you can't have resurrection without death. And you can't have new hope and new futures without the ends of old hopes and old plans. And it is an ego struggle, let me tell you. It is an ego struggle to leave your old plans, your old dreams, your old hopes at the foot of the cross. But I believe that for myself, Jesus has given me a different, and I think in the end, a far better call. He has said, love Yukon. Be here and love it well. Serve here, love here, work here. And it's not what I would have chosen. (laughs) But here I am. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, uh Thanks. And so, and I know that it's true that a few people will remember whether or not I was a tenure track professor. But many more people will remember if I love them well. And I know that that's true for you as well. That the dreams and the hopes and the plans that you have, that you feel so precious to you, they are important and they are precious. But trust them to Jesus because I believe that he has so much more. And it might not look like more right away. It might look like an adjunct professorship (laughs) for years and years and years. But I believe that he is going to do more in you and with you and through you than you could ever have imagined. So like Peter, 
I'm weeping. But also like Peter, I'm believing that my resurrected Savior has more for me than I have for myself. And I will get up and I will walk to Galilee to meet him wherever he is and wherever he takes me. And I want the same for you guys. I want the same for each and every one of you to get up and go to Galilee and meet your Jesus. So we've given you some, some reflection time, a prayer guide, to think about what does that look like for you. Are there aspects of your plans and your dreams and your call that you need to leave at the foot of the cross? That need to, you need to let go of because they're not taking you where you want to go and they're only going to stop you from being the people of God that you were created to be. So a person, a plan, a pursuit that you sense Jesus gently but firmly saying, this is not what I have for you. And I would encourage you, leave it at the cross. Giving you prayers to pray, pray them, leave it behind tonight so that you can walk into the future that Jesus has for you. And lay out for Jesus, this is what I think my call is. If I'm wrong, let me know. If I'm headed in the wrong direction, let me know. If I'm dreaming too small, let me know. Let me know. <laughs> Do it <we> gets it. <laughs> because we want to be in lockstep with Jesus. So, so lay out your resurrection dream. Lay out your resurrection calling and bring it in front of Jesus and say, is this what you have for me? Because I want what you have. What you have is best for me. I believe that your plan for me is the best plan for me. So let me pray for us, and then we'll give you a little time just to look through your reflection, to do some personal prayer, um, and then we'll kind of move on with some communion and uh, some worship. So Father, we thank you that you care so much about us, that our futures are so important to you, that you don't let us have our own ways that you don't let us have the things that we desire, the plans that we create, the mud puddles that we live in when the ocean is available to us. So Father, we lay down our, we lay down our dreams, we lay down our plans, we lay down our call, and we say, do more. Make us more. Make us yours. <laughs>